pray with me. Uh, Father, uh, we thank you for the gift of your word that we get to open up every Sunday. And every Sunday we get to celebrate these little mini resurrection events and, and, and on a weekly basis just find ourselves in the rhythm of Easter and new creation, grounding us in the reality that life has overcome the grave, that the new has come, that the old has gone, that you are making everything new. God, we pray that you would, over these next few moments, open our hearts and our minds up to what you'd have to say to us, especially, God, through the Scripture right now. Breathe into these words. Bring them to life. We pray these things in the name of our risen Savior. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Uh, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, and this is a huge verse, one of my favorites in Scripture, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And here it is, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's the word of the Lord this morning. It's a good, good news. In fact, I read a passage like that and I think, how do you add anything to that? How do you even expound on that? What do you do with that? Can we just like drop a mic and say, you're dismissed, he is risen. Very good. I just keep making sure you're on your toes and with me, okay? And then just go out, and yet I've got like 20 minutes to fill. And so I've got to reflect on it or something at least a little bit. And so let's spend a little time just reflecting on the events of this past weekend. Good Friday and the cross, the tomb, the darkness that trembled when the light of the world entered into it. And then when he burst out again on Easter morning as Christians, especially, I don't know, in the Christian world that I grew up in, kind of Protestant North American Christianity, we're real good with the events of Good Friday, aren't we? Uh, we, we know how to talk about the cross, and rightfully so. The cross is where our Savior took all of our brokenness, all of our hurt, 
all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, yours and mine, he took it onto himself and he brought it with him to that cross. And he put it to its end there on our behalf, in our place. This is incredible news for us that we don't have to carry around the weight of that kind of burden and brokenness that Jesus took it to the cross with him. And then all of that stuff goes into the grave with him as well, right? We know how to talk about this. We've got atonement theories talking about how the the death of Christ covers over our sin and cleanses us and purifies us. We've got diagrams that can be drawn on napkins, you know, showing us about how God is over here and we're over here and our sin separates us from him and the cross bridges the gap and brings us together. We've got tracks, guys. We've got tracks, millions of tracks. You've been handed tracks. You've found them in bathrooms and on street corners. We, We know how to talk about the cross, and rightfully so, it is the place where all of our old life goes to die. And it needs to. And we're thankful for that because we couldn't accomplish that kind of work on our own. So Jesus did it for us. And yet, when you look at the Gospels, all four of the Gospels have a cross They have a tomb, but then they also, all four of them, have an empty tomb. There's an Easter morning. There are these two sides of the the weekend that you have to hold together because if it was just the cross, Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's talking about the resurrection. If it was just the cross and there was no resurrection, we all got played right? Uh, Like it's foolishness. If, If it was just the cross and there was no resurrection, then our message is the worst, you know? I mean, it's just the absolute worst. If it's just the cross, Jesus failed. The Messiah, he wasn't the Messiah. It was a sham, the whole thing. But if you add in the resurrection, the cross gets seen in a whole new light. And now there's this whole other thing that's going on. There is resurrection. There's new life. There's bursting forth in glorious light. And these gospels have this empty tomb. And I think today... For this morning, I don't want us to fall short of telling the whole good news. It's not just about the cross. It's also about Jesus stepping out into newness of life, into an entirely new creation, a new world that he's making, a new order, bringing, restoring, redeeming, reconciling the entire world to God in himself. And and when Jesus walks out of that tomb. See, he doesn't just bring our sins to the cross with him. He invites us up out of the tomb with him as well. This is an important part of the story. It's not just that your and my sins have been forgiven, that the price has been paid, that the work has been done. But now that it has, there's a new life to be lived with Christ. Actually, maybe a better way to say it than with Christ is in Christ, that Christ now invites us in him to live this new life that is available to us, that's cleansed and purified and made whole and restored and being renewed every step of the way. I say in him 
because there's this preposition shift that happens over this weekend. I don't know if any of you guys have ever picked up on this. I've never picked up on this, but especially in Paul's writing, one of the things you find, and in the passage we read this morning, is this phrase, in him. Now, if you read through the Gospels, you don't find that phrase very much. All the places where Jesus is walking around, the 33 years he spent in the flesh among the people, uh, the disciples are with him. They're following him. They're, you know, touching him. They're listening to him. They're doing the kinds of things they're relating to Jesus in the normal ways that people relate to each other, that human beings relate to each other. There's a with and alongside a following. You can get close to Jesus. You can try and follow so close to Jesus that like the dust of his sandals kicks up on you. And that was everybody's goal, you know, to walk so close behind him. And yet there was always a with or an alongside of or whatever. But on the other side of the tomb... There's a preposition shift. There's an in him. Jesus, Jesus telegraphed this. In John's gospel, the night that he was betrayed, he's sharing his last Passover meal with his disciples. And he actually said this in John chapter 15, verse 4. He's talking about uh, this analogy of the vine and the branches. And he's like, I'm like the vine where the life is flowing and you're like the branches. And so he says this. He says, remain in me. Remain in me. Now, guys, listen, step back from our side of Easter, right? Step back to and try and put yourself in the disciples' shoes right there. They're sitting around having a meal there with Jesus. Jesus is just telling them uh, about all sorts of things. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. They're all scratching their heads. Nobody knows what to do with this. And now Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Remain in me. I got to tell you, if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, what are you talking about? How, how, do you, how, do we, how do you want us to do that? Like, that's just not something that two people say, right? We're used to it. People especially have grown up around the church. You're like, oh, yeah, remain in Jesus. We're supposed to be in Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. But listen, and especially maybe if you're brand new, you can hear this and, and you say, how would one person remain in another person? Like, you don't do that. Jesus, what are you talking about? You know, they're scratching their heads. And yet Jesus doubles down on this a few chapters later. On this shift that's getting ready to take place on the other side of the tomb, he, he has this moment of prayer where he prays for the disciples. He prays for himself. He prays for the disciples. Then he prays for us. He, he prays for all of the people who will believe on account of the word and the testimony that the disciples passed down about Jesus. He prays for us and he says, Father, make them one. Bring them to complete unity. And then he, he has these phrases that he throws into this prayer. Father, as I am in you and you are in me, may they also be in us. In us. And there's this whole like, there's lots of I and you and you and me and I and them and them and us. And like this whole like, you know, like, like that there is this opportunity somehow to enter into the life of God on the other side of the tomb. Are you with me here? Is this preaching you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Now for the past 33 years of Jesus' life, he had been a person. And he remains a person. He's still a person today, right? But he was fully and completely human. Human. 
person. You would relate to him just like you would any other person. The idea of being in him just didn't make any kind of sense. He was fully human. The Hebrews says, in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, just like you and me, for 33 years, he took on the limits and the boundaries of these bodies and minds and hearts and all of the things that makes us human. Jesus was and is a person. But Jesus is also more than a person. Jesus is more than a person and he always has been more than a person, much more. See, because before Jesus in time and history and space took on flesh and limited himself and became boundaried by all of these things that make us human, before that he was. In the beginning he was with God and he was God, you hear the gospel writers trying to wrestle with this idea that there was a reality about Jesus that pre-existed his human body, his personhood here on earth, that he went before, that he was one with the Father and the Spirit. Later on in, in um, Christian theology, they would talk about how he, was the, he is the second person, always has been the second person of the Trinity, sharing in the fullness of of the mystery of the triune God, guys. Much more than a person. He is before all things. Before all things. He is, Revelation would say, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. Jesus predates Jesus. And then Jesus comes into the flesh and now all all of a sudden he's human and he's fully 100% human, but he never stops being fully 100% God. And it just, these things converge for this season in his life at the same time. And he's fully person, but he's also more than that. And John uh, writes in a letter later on, he says, for this moment, we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only. We were able to see it with our eyes. We could touch him with our hands. We heard him with our ears like he made sound waves in his own creation. For this time, we beheld him and we related with him as a person. But then he died on the cross. He gave his life and love for your and my sins. He was laid in the tomb He breathed his last. He he laid in darkness. Three days later, he rose from the grave and walked out of that tomb. And afterwards, all of the glory, people began to be able to see again in a new and special way. After he gave his life as a gift of love and was raised, he returned then a few, several days later to the Father in the glory, to the life that he shared with the Father from before the beginning of time. At one point in Colossians, guys, this passage in Colossians is one of my favorite passages ever. Colossians chapter one. Uh, Tyler, help me out. Put this up here. The Son is trying to describe this more that Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation 
For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and listen to this line, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. In him, all things hold together. I mean, how do you put that into words? Jesus is more than a person. How do you describe that? It's, it's almost like, like you have to come up with new language to describe the kind of reality that we're talking about. This is God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the love at the center of and surrounding all of and over on top of and underneath all of creation. And Jesus holds the whole thing together in himself. Now, the early believers who were encountering this risen Christ recognized that there was the shift that had taken place. We used to just like relate to Jesus like he was a human being with, alongside of, following behind, all of these kinds of things. And yet the risen Christ, it was the same Jesus, right? It was the same person. He still had the nail marks in his hands. He still had the wounds in his sides. It was the same Jesus, and yet you couldn't relate to him the same kind of way. You couldn't hold on to this resurrected body the same way that you could have gone and hugged Jesus around the neck. Mary tried, by the way. Uh, Right after the passage Molly read about the empty tomb, Mary goes out from there weeping, where have they taken my Jesus? And she runs into a gardener in a garden, which is just brilliance like this whole other sermon right Jesus making everything new and back to the garden of Eden all this kind of stuff wonderful and 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 she sees the gardener and she's like where have you taken him have you taken him somewhere where do you know where my savior is and 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 she she's weeping and Jesus says Mary and in hearing her voice she recognizes this is the savior Rabboni, Jesus, she says, and she goes to grab onto him just like she always had, right? And he says, don't hold on to me. In a sense, you can't relate to me the same way you used to. I haven't yet returned to my father, he said. Don't hold on. There's this different re- way after resurrection, in resurrection, that we relate to Jesus You can't hang on to him the way that you could have before. But if you will trust and believe and having had your sins forgiven and having placed your faith and your trust in Christ, you can enter into You can enter into this life, this way, this truth, this love that is at the heartbeat of the entire creation, the whole universe, 
was made through and for and in this thing. And listen, apart from Christ, we're outside of that. The life, the love, the way, the truth that holds it all together in our own silo of self, our own isolated individual, like my own desires and pursuits and my sin, I'm isolated from that. But because of what Christ has done for me, when we place our trust in him, have our sins forgiven, he makes a way through the tomb for us to enter back into the life that you and I were created for. You can enter into this life. And when we do this, an incredible change happens. That old life that used to be so important to us and all the things and the pursuits and the passions and the sin and the brokenness and the hurt and the shame and the guilt and all those things that we're burdened with. But also everything else, the old way that we used to view the world, see other people, view ourselves, understand our own identities. All of those things go to the cross with Christ and into the tomb with Christ. And then when we enter into Christ, this incredible transformation happens. You have a whole new life. Does anybody need one of those, right? A whole new life entered into the center of the life force of all of creation. The old goes, but it makes room for something new. And that's the important part that you, you let your old life go down. You let the sins be forgiven. But then you, you step out into faith in Christ. And you trust him that in Christ, that's where life is found. And it's a different kind of life on the other side of the grave. It's an indestructible life. It's an eternal life. It's a life that goes over and above and through and underneath, like all the way around death, where death just kind of gets shoved off to the side and life says, I'm bigger than that now. That's the life that you enter into. Those early Christian believers so many years ago This was their witness, and it's still our witness today. These couple thousand years later, it's the same gospel, guys. The same story. Over and over and over again, we tell the same thing that everyone, because of his sacrifice and because of his resurrection, is able to, by the grace and mercy of God, enter into a new life. That passage from 2 Corinthians, I'm telling you, listen. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The translators have trouble with this part because the Greek language there, it's not like a a part of a sentence. It's just like this blurting out like, blah, new creation. You know, like it's like new creation exclamation point. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come is how this translation puts it. Some translations will say there is a new creation. But if you read it in the Greek, it's like if anyone is in Christ, bam, (laughs) new creation. There we are. Like it just, blah. Sorry, I ran out of words there. Uh, (laughs) The old has gone. The new is here. The new is here. You skip down a few verses, and it says in verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. In Christ. God is embracing you. 
Listen, some of us need to hear this maybe for the first time or maybe after a long time when you've stepped outside of the embrace. In Christ, God is reconciling you to Himself. He's embracing you. He's wrapping you up in the life and the way and the truth. Reconciling. He's making you right with your Maker in Christ. Not counting your sins against you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you went. It doesn't matter what you did. In Christ, you are reconciled to God. You're made right with Him. Not counting your sins against you. And then this amazing other, uh, in, in verse 21, Uh, It says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you hearing these phrases? If anyone is in Christ, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, you have been reconciled to God. If anyone is in Christ, your old life is gone and you have now become, like there's the whole identity shift, you have now become the righteousness of God. In Christ, there's a whole new like definition of you and what you are and who you are. You are now forgiven. You are set free. You are made right with God. You are redeemed. You are restored. You're renewed. You're cleansed. You're purified. You're set apart. You're embraced. You're a special people. You're a holy people. You're saints. All of these things in Christ become true about you. Some of us here this morning are like, me? Yes, because you are in Christ. And when he looks, when God the Father looks at you, that's who he sees when you by faith enter into Christ. At one point in Galatians, Paul says in chapter 3, so if anyone is in Christ, listen, that person is a child of God. See the things that happen when you, when you, come out of the tomb with, in Christ? See, I almost said with Christ, but, but in Christ. When you come out of the tomb in Christ, there's a whole new creation for you to live into, to explore, to see. And I want to encourage you today. Actually, let me make this more forceful. Let me use some biblical language. I implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For some of us here this morning, this is a reminder. It's a renewal. It's a a remembering of all the wonderful things that Christ has done for us on our behalf and the opportunity we have every day to live in Him. For some of us today, we need to respond to this. Being reconciled to God is a very real and present choice that we get to make this morning. Paul says it. I'm saying it to you. A couple thousand years of Christian witnesses said it. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. 
don't let his death on the cross and his time in the grave and his resurrection be for nothing in your life. Enter into it. Let the new things be true about your life as well. Be made right with God today. This um, morning, we're going to take an opportunity to celebrate communion. And uh, it's Easter Sunday, you know. Easter, do you remember the death on Easter Sunday? It's, you know, and yet I was talking with um, Joshua, our pastor over at Blackman Community um, Church of the Nazarene here in town, uh, about this kind of deal. And he goes, you know, we celebrate communion on Easter Sunday because, because the resurrection reminds us that this place that could have been a total and utter disaster and failure is transformed into the place of our redemption and victory. I want to encourage you today. In a moment, we're going to pray. Um, we're going to ask God uh, to forgive our sins and give you an opportunity, maybe for the first time, to put your trust in Christ, to enter into Him, to be reconciled to God. And then I want to invite you, if you have made a decision to place your trust and your faith in, in God, to trust in Christ's work for you on the cross and in His resurrection life that you can enter into, in receiving communion this morning, let this be your testimony that in His death, your old life is gone. And in His life, there is a new creation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for Easter. Jesus, we want to thank you for the work that you've done for us on the cross. And God, I want to invite anyone here this morning who has never pledged themselves to you, who's never put their trust in you, who's never been reconciled to you, or maybe who did it one time but it's been a long way ago and maybe we've stepped outside. God, would you forgive our sins in Christ? Would you let that old life that I live for myself go to the tomb? And then, God, would you help us to place our trust and our faith in Jesus as our Lord, as our leader, as our master, and may we enter into him in new resurrection life. As we celebrate communion, God, pray that you'd bless this time, that we'd remember all of the things about our old life that went to the grave with Jesus, that his body was broken for, that his blood was shed for. And may then we also remember here on Easter Sunday that that wasn't the end of the story, that there's a whole new creation, a new life for us to live in him because of his work there. In the name of Jesus, everybody said. Amen. Would you stand? I want to invite those who are serving communion to come. And we're going to have two stations. If you're a guest with us, let me give you just a couple of instructions. You come forward down these two aisles, receive a piece of bread representing Jesus' body and a, a, a cup reminding us of his blood poured out for us. And, um, and then bring it back to your seat. We'll receive the elements together and we'll sing some songs as well at the same time and just let this be a time of worship remembering the old life being gone and the new life coming so come when you're ready